this level of grace, not with arms wide open to receive and to give. Hallelujah. I give thanks this morning and lift praises for every person, those that I know and those that I do not know that have made a way for me to experience this morning. Amen. I offer thanks and praise for all the people that you know and to those you may not know who have made a way for us to gather, you and me, in this place this morning. Hallelujah. I was thinking there are times where I get ready to come and do Sunday and I catch myself in the mirror and I look and I think, oh my goodness, look at you. <laughs> Seriously, you're putting on that black robe and you're going to go be a preacher person today, huh? And I have to laugh because I know my own history. I know where I've been. I know things I've done. I know who I am. And when I put this on and I come in this place, it is true. It is a true thing, but it's not the only true thing about who I am. It just happens to be one of the more true things. But it's really amazing, uh, the freedom and the joy that's been offered. I was on a plane on, to, on our way to Michigan with Jada, the 13-year-old who came to live with Tate and I for a while. And if you've met Jada, as she's been part of our church community for a while, you know she's um, kind of forthright, and she says things <laughs> just like kind of straight up. And we were in uh, traveling not right next to each other. I was in one set of seats right in the middle, and she was across the aisle in another set of seats uh, right in the middle, and she's poor, you know, badgering those poor people. They just wanted to fly, and she's talking and asking where they're going and what they're doing, and I can hear her, and I'm trying to just be really quiet, and then I hear her say, oh, I'm here with my aunt. She's a minister. Oh, she's right over there. She's the one in the middle. Look at her. You wouldn't think she's a minister, would you? No. <laughs> she says, I know, and she looks at she and I can hear her say, I know. It's just really strange. She's not a normal kind of minister. I thought, oh, child, you don't know the half of that. But I continued to just be kind of quiet and just let that go. But I just had to laugh because the thing about this is um, it is surprising but totally perfect in God's plan, right? And I was remembering with uh, Reverend Janice preached a sermon a couple weeks ago opening this unbinding question for us leading up to this time. And it was on Baptism Sunday. And she was sharing from the scripture where Philip and the eunuch are going along. And the eunuch says, I want to be baptized. Why not me? Right? Why not me? And I could resonate with that. Yes. Why not me? Why not you? Why not us? Why not? And so here we are beautiful thing. And then she said the E-word. She said, yeah, so we just want to tell people about it and evangelize. I said, oh, close the book. <laughs> I don't think so. Because I have one of those reactions. I don't know about you all. Maybe you're all a bunch of evangelizers, but I have had trouble with the E-word. When I was a young person, as my mother was doing her own kind of seeking, she spent two years in fellowship with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And she brought the kids to the Jehovah's Witnesses services twice a week. And we sat there, and I was about nine years old. And what I remember from that experience was regularly being shown pictures in my children's book of what Armageddon would look like. Very vivid pictures of children being 
ripped out of the arms of parents, of people wailing as those that they loved were being burned in fire around them. It was terrifying. And I was taught that the belief was that the day would come when the chosen would be saved and anyone who was not chosen was going to experience this day of Armageddon. It was frightening. And I was terrified of this God that was being presented to me. And then I was told that on a weekly basis, if I wanted to make sure I wasn't one of the ones who was burnt and abandoned, that I had to go door to door with some of the older members of our fellowship and help save people from that experience by passing out literature and telling them the truth of this God. Evangelism at an early age was a terrifying experience for me. And it did not ring true in the heart of my heart, even at age nine years old, that this was a God that I could experience loving me and that I could love in return. This experience that God and sharing about God can be a damaging as opposed to healing thing has been reinforced in many ways for me in our culture. I remember going to stand uh, as part of a wall of protection with other members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and allied community when the Harvey Milk High School was opened in New York City. The Harvey Milk High School was opened so that there could be a high school experience available that could be elected by students of LGBT experience or persons who simply felt that they were being oppressed or marginalized to such a degree in their standard high school experience, that they were being bullied and harassed and threatened and harmed to such a degree that they could not complete their education. And so there was an alternative high school experience created through the Hetrick Martin Institute called the Harvey Milk High School. It's there to this day. And on opening day, a very important day, there was going to be the entrance of all these young people who had experienced such trauma elsewhere and they were finally going to come to a place that was designated as safe for them. And of course, Fred Phelps targeted that day and that opening and came with a large contingent of his believing peoples from Westboro Baptist Church. And he came and he had them line up with picket signs that said horrible things. This was immediately after September 11th in New York City. Signs that said, you are the cause of the falling of the towers. The death of these people is on your faggot heads. Children were walking by this. Signs that said things I will not repeat, but I needed to say that so you could feel in your gut what I mean. And the thing that was very, very painful for me was that Fred Phelps had children lined up with him holding some of those signs. And so I and some others stood and created a wall of other bodies that would be between Fred Phelps' contingent and the young people who were entering into the Harvey Milk High School for the first time.
so that they could know another face and another witness and that there were people that cared about their safe journey. And I experienced a revulsion toward a proclamation of a God and a faith that would create pain and harm and injustice, not just for those that were entering the school, but for the young people being raised in that atmosphere of hate. And so I felt very familiar with the sense of what doesn't work about sharing your faith in a public way. In my experience, mostly I associated it with damage and injustice and pain and violence. And this is part of what motivated me to get involved in experiencing what the scripture said. Because so much of this violence was being justified by words from the Bible texts. In fact, scripture supported sexism and racism and homophobia. It's all in there and a good deal of it in Paul's letters, by the way. And so I began a practice of finding and arguing out against the scripture, trying to find a way to make a connection to the God that I knew must be truer than all those things. So when I heard that E word, evangelism, I thought, oh, no, no, no. You think I have a problem with that? I do. I do. So in Acts today, we see here is basically Fred Phelps. Here is Saul, someone who has gone and been actively persecuting the Christian peoples, right? He's not just kind of holding conservative views. He is actively persecuting, drawing people into situations where they are put to death as followers of Christ. He's that guy. He's real. And he's going along and he has an experience. And as I read this scripture that was shared today, I thought, oh my goodness, let's get real and present with this. This could be, what if in prayer, Kristen, God said to you, go now. Fred Phelps is in prayer and he is seeing a vision of one such as you coming to him and laying your hands upon him and asking that the Holy Spirit come forward upon him. And you will call him in through the open door of the Holy Spirit into right relationship with Christ. And immediately, I felt resistant. And I thought about Ananias, who says, who's a faithful man indeed. He's in prayer with God. He's able to hear what God is saying. But he speaks back. He says, um, I know that guy. And that's not the guy. Like, you don't want me to go do that. And God says, actually, I do. And I have a plan for grace in and through this one. And I need you to do your part. And so it made me ponder to get real with this. Could I really do that? If God, if God came to me in prayer today and said that, would I, would I do it? And what would it take? And why would I do it? And so I spent some time in meditation upon this. And what I got connected with is I have to find the place in me that is very clear about the value of my relationship with God. What does it mean to me? How much does it mean to me? What would I do to honor it 
and to continue to grow it and strengthen it. One of the questions that I would offer for you today as we explore this thing a little bit is what does your faith mean to you? Really mean to you? Not just like an identity, oh, I'm a preacher, I'm a Christian, I'm a minister, oh, I sing, I... But what does your faith mean, mean, mean to you? I was asked a question that helped me clarify this, so I'm going to give it back to you. It may be helpful to you. What if all of a sudden it disappeared right now? What if all of a sudden your belief in God, your relationship with Jesus, your church feeling of belonging, what if all of a sudden your sense of solace in the scripture or your joy in the hymns and the singing, what if all that just... What would you miss? What do you feel yourself scrambling for? What is that thing that you need, that you want, that you'd fight for? What is that and why? When I tried this experience, what I realized is that I have this thing in me that knows a loving God, that knows a loving God. And I need to know that or I have no hope. And I don't say that lightly. You all know my story enough to know. I've been willing to drink and drug myself to death behind no hope. I've been willing to do self-destructive behaviors until I have been very harmed and harmed relationships all around me because I've had no hope. This is a real thing, this no hope thing. And it leads us all sorts of places. You know where it leads you. Okay? So the no hope place for me is the thing. And so then I come back to the question, what would lead me to lay my hands on Fred Phelps? What would lead me to share the faith I know? What would lead me to do that would be if I sincerely understood that here was a man with no hope, that here was a man who was longing to know an unconditional love of God, who was feeling that he was being destroyed from the inside out because he had no sense of God's real presence and companionship. I would be motivated to reach out to him if he was feeling that he was dying inside and there was no other way for him and that he felt that he had no hope to bring him life. I am motivated by the overflowing sense of certainty in a loving God. I have overflowing certainty that the God that I was taught in those Jehovah's Witness meetings, a God that would rip children from mother's arms is not the God I know. I have overwhelming certainty that the God that would proclaim that people are the cause of unspeakable tragedy is not the God I know. I have overwhelming confidence in a God that proclaims that all people, LGBTQ, every single person, Fred Phelps, all of us, are open to the grace of God. I need to believe those things, and I do. And if you need it, then who am I not to share? And so this is what caused me to revisit that E word that E question.
And I found if I could find this place and realize that this is what we're talking about, that I was making it something other than what it was. And then I started to realize all the reasons not me, all the reasons I'm all wrong, are the reasons why I'm just right. You know, I'm all wrong because I don't like this evangelism forcing of faith on somebody else. So I'm all right because I know how to share my faith while honoring your experience. I'm all wrong because I'm a non-traditional Christian. I wasn't raised in the church. I struggle with how people claim an easy relationship with that title. I've really struggled a lot with what it means to say I'm a Christian. I have had to struggle to figure out how to be in relationship with this Jesus Christ person. I've really had to wrestle with this. I'm all wrong, but that's why I'm just right. Because the person who is struggling too needs to hear something so simple as, well, I know it may sound really crazy, but here's how I did it. I just sat down. I really did this. I still do this. I sat down in one chair, and I put an empty chair next to me, and I invited Jesus to sit in it because I decided that I wanted to know Jesus for who I could know Jesus to be because I was tired of hearing about this person <laughs> that was causing so much hateful stuff in the world. And I want to know if that was really the real deal. Because I had read the scriptures for myself, and I had read the gospel for myself, and I had seen a very different person described. So I sat down in a chair and put an empty chair next to me, and I sat like that for about five or ten minutes every morning for six months. And the Spirit came in that simple practice and started to help me have a sense of awareness of who this Jesus person was for me. Now, I can share that with anybody. You can try it. You don't have to. But it might work for you. It surely worked for me. The reason why I'm all wrong, because I don't have the right things to say, <laughs> is why I'm all right to share this kind of faith. The reasons why I'm all wrong, that I'm arguing with Paul and I struggle with the scripture, is exactly why I'm all right. Because I got mad enough that I started to read it for myself, and guess what I discovered? <laughs> we can read them for ourselves. Can I say that again? <laughs> Guess what I discovered? We can read them for ourselves. We can know the scripture for ourselves. I just got an email just this week from somebody telling me that although they were not judging me, they were mad at me for teaching the wrong things about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus clearly says that homosexuality is wrong and a sin and that we are to stop sinning and to repent. Jesus Christ does not say one single thing like that. How do I know? Because I read the scriptures myself. So when somebody tells me what the Bible says, so when somebody tells me who Jesus can and cannot love based on scripture, I found out, because I was so mad at scripture that I got in there for myself, I found out, oh, hallelujah, that's not what it says. Just because you say that's what it says does not mean that's what it says. And I am all right to share that word with people who have been harmed by scripture. Because I can say, hey, guess what? You can read it too. I'd be interested to see what you see. Right? 
So this E word started getting a little less scary. It just simply became this word about sharing my faith. I am just an ordinary person. I'm just an ordinary person who has a longing for God. You're here because you have it too. There are plenty other ways to spend Sunday morning. You're here, I know, because you have it too. I'm an ordinary person with a longing for God who simply prays, listens, reads, listens, talks, listens, and keeps trying. That's it. And I do it to live because I can't have any hope without it. And there are plenty of people around me. This is all they're looking for. Nothing complicated. In New York one day, I went to the LGBT center there. And I had an experience like Ananias in the scripture. I heard, and this was new in my journey, I heard God indicating that I was to interact with a person that I saw sitting in the, in the vestibule area over there. And when I went over to that person and started talking with them, it's clear to me that they were high, very high, slurring and incoherent. I just simply introduced myself. I wrote my name and phone number on a little card and said, if you ever want a different way, why? I don't know, because God was leading me to. This is not the way I do things. I gave that person a little slip of paper. Do you know? Two days later, I got a phone call. Hi. Um, I don't know if you remember me. I'm that person that you saw. You gave me your number. Do you want to have coffee? I met that person who was struggling to come off a heroin addiction. That person did not know that I had experience, strength, and hope to share around how to get off of drugs. But I did, and God knew it. And I didn't know that's what they needed, but God knew it. And so I had coffee with that person. And over the next number of months, that person became clean and sober. And over the next number of months beyond that, that person was able to start make a spiritual connection for themselves. That person started attending MCC New York, where I was attending. Did I tell them they needed to? Never. Were they looking for what I had? Yes, they were. And that's where they went. And those are the things they did. And over the last 10 years, this person has come into a deep relationship with God, has transitioned as an out transgender male, has been able to live fully into life, has a partnership and a new house, and volunteers regularly at the church as an artist and shares uh, graphic arts and photography skills in service to the church has produced their, uh, their newsletter for the last several years. That person was on drugs when I met them. This is an ordinary story. I did not make this up. You'll have ordinary stories like this just like Ananias has. Did you know who Ananias was? Some, but most of us not. Did you know who Saul and Paul was? We hear a lot about Saul and Paul. We don't hear so much about Ananias. So if you have a Paul problem, and there are so many to choose from, <laughs> I have plenty of Paul problems. You could have the Paul problem of thinking, well, Paul's story is so dramatic. I just can't, you know, share my faith because it's not dramatic like that. Or you could have a different kind of Paul problem where you say, my Paul problem is 
sort of like Paul's, he has a past that he should be ashamed of. And, you know, if he does this journey into light and everything, it'll bring it up. And I don't know how that'll be reconciled so I can't reconcile my past. Maybe you have a different kind of Paul problem. Maybe you're like me and you just don't like his theology and you're mad at him and you don't want to do anything that might connect you to him. It could be that kind of thing. You could have the kind of Paul problem that, frankly, honestly, sorry, is all too common where you're just so right and so religious and so right and so religious that you know all the answers and you don't even realize that you're persecuting Jesus because you're not in living relationship with the one that you're so right about. It's possible that you could have that Paul problem, but all I'm going to say is all these Paul problems, maybe we're just focusing on the wrong thing. Maybe my problem could be our problem. It's not a Paul problem at all. Maybe it's just about having an Ananias answer. You know, an Ananias answer, a really simple thing. How did this happen? Ananias was a simple person who was obviously in regular relationship with God because that's how he heard God tell him to go seek out Saul, right? He didn't just figure it out, oh, I'm going to go help this guy. He was in prayer, and he heard the voice of God, and so he responded. He had a real relationship with God where he could talk back and listen, and then he followed out what he could do. And what did he do when he went to go see Saul? He didn't start telling him the right way to live. He didn't go tell him how sinful he had been. All he told him was, hey, I was talking to God. God was talking back to me, and God led me to you. Here, let me touch you. May the Holy Spirit be on you. That was it. That was it. He opened the door. Saul walked through. Had his own journey. Had his own experience. But it changed his life. Changed his life. So, over this period of unbinding our hearts... What we're being called to do is switch over from maybe having our channel set to Paul problem to Ananias answer. And maybe we can just do that very simple thing. Be the ordinary people we are with a longing for God who start to simply pray. Get a connection with God that we allow to grow. And as we are led, we speak about the hope in our lives that we have not had but we do start to have today and we do that because there are so many so many people who have that ache and that hopeless feeling and we can be the ones who open the door it's really that simple i'm in i hope you are too